our people are not our most important asset, it's our culture. And they're like, well, how do you say that? You always talk about how you love your people. I'm like, I do, but I also recognize that people are going to come and go. Welcome to Open, Honest, and Direct, a podcast sharing stories from powerful leaders on what it takes to unlock your team's potential. Each episode will take a behind-the-scenes look at how to build a high-performing team from the leaders who built them. Today, we're lucky to have Alex O'Brien, the Chief Operating Officer of the Cardinal Group. In this episode, Alex talks about how his five years as a Marine were instrumental in helping him grow his company from a single-family home to over a thousand employees today, and how the Marine playbook turned into their company's core values, which guide his team on a daily basis. I had a blast and learned so much in this short conversation with Alex. I'm confident you will too. Enjoy. So you're a Marine who served two tours in the Middle East and the Pacific. You have your MBA from the University of uh, Chicago's Booth School of Business. You now lead a thousand employees as the chief operating officer of Cardinal Group, a company that redefines the approach to the multifamily and student housing. That is quite a journey. You got a few things right. One is that you said I am a Marine, which once a Marine, always a Marine. I was a Marine in the past. I still am and still a Marine at heart. And you also left out that I'm currently raising three of my biological children and and looking to adopt a fourth. So I have a whole crazy journey going on. But um, yeah, (laughs) certainly is kind of a summary of the last, you know, 15 to 20 years of my career, starting as a Marine and specifically as a Marine Corps officer and navigating through serving my country, obviously getting out, getting into an entrepreneurial endeavor that started as a single family home in California and now has grown into a thousand person organization across the country and made a brief pit stop at the University of Chicago, which was just an unbelievable opportunity and learning experience for me and putting all those things together. We sit here today, 20 years into this really fun journey. And, you know, as my business partner, Del DeWin, who's the CEO of our organization says, you know, we're really just getting started, which I'm not just excited to look back and say, what have I learned? But I think just looking forward, it's such an exciting time. But yeah, so here we are. The thing that pops to mind first, which is what inspired you to go down the path of service and and serving this country? I, you know, I wish I had like this awesome story of father and my grandfather and my you know, great-grandfather all served and it was kind of part of our heritage. It really wasn't. I, I went to a, a college prep high school in Dayton, Ohio, where I grew up. My grandfather had served in the Air Force and so I had a little a little bit of connection to the military, but it certainly wasn't one of those things growing up where I always knew going through school and um, no one in my family or direct family had gone to college at that point. And, I, and frankly, we just didn't talk a lot about it. So to me, as I would kind of explore next opportunities, you know, the military was just an interesting thing to pursue. And, you know, I was a student body president. I kind of knew I had this calling or like I, I loved leading people specifically in like a servant leadership mentality, which was just instilled from my parents. They were really good at kind of instilling this belief that you always put others first and kind of had this servant heart themselves. So I 
not knowing much about university options, I said, well, let me explore the military and went through that process. And through a, a few twists and turns along the way, I was actually going to enlist in the Navy. And once I had applied and gone through all the testing and was in a delayed entry program, luckily for kind of how my journey played out, an ROTC recruiter got their hands on my application package and said, hey, have you ever considered the RTC program, you know, based on your test scores and what you've done and, and the officer route might be a great option. And so I did that and applied and received a full ride, a full four-year ride to college, which was great and a huge just win for my family. You know, I'm a big believer in kind of this change your stars, American dream opportunity set. And so for me to be able to have, you know, both of my parents just working so hard to provide education, I felt like it was so rewarding for them to see, you know, me now able to go to college and it was just awesome. And during that time in undergrad, I was able to go down to Norfolk, Virginia for some training. And, and I'll never forget this conversation, but I was talking to a Marine, you know, you do a bunch of cross training, you're on a ship and a submarine and all cool stuff. And, and then you spend a week with the Marines. And I was talking to a, a sergeant. I said, how do you know whether you should be in the Navy or the Marines? And I think, you know, there's just such a healthy rivalry there. I think the Marines have a healthy rivalry with, with everyone. Everybody, but, yeah. Um, all, one team, one fight, but good, healthy rivalry. And the guy looked at me, the Marine, and said, you know, when you hear the national anthem, if you get chills up your spine, you were meant to be a Marine. That was it. And that was all I needed to hear. I always felt that way, just this overwhelming pride of our country and the values it represents and plenty of stuff to complain about, plenty of stuff to be divided over. But just at the core, I just really believed in the fundamental values of America. And so when he said that, I literally went home, sent in a letter saying I was going to move from the Navy to the Marine Corps. And the rest is uh, history, as they say. Like I said, I still consider myself a Marine at heart. And I think the ability to serve, not just these big values, values you serve your country, but to serve the other men and women together is just such a rewarding experience. And the bonds that you make, the leadership lessons you learn, those first five years have guided the rest of my career. It was one of the, if not the most rewarding thing I've ever done, which was to lead Marines. And it's hard to describe if you've never done it, but for those who have, they will completely understand what I'm talking about. Just even hearing that gave me the chills. I reflect back to one of our values as a business is to do the next hard thing. And doing the next hard thing came from talking to a Navy SEAL. You know, he, someone asked him, how do you do, how do you do what you do? He said, I, I do what I do, not by looking at all the 10 scary steps in front of me. We just take the next hard step. And it's so interesting as I looked at your company values and you have 10 core values that you follow and a daily motto that talks about we're not co-workers, we're a team. We don't check boxes, we break boundaries. And then I also, you know, you shared that the crucible, that like brutal part of marine training compares to how you started the Cardinal Group. How were those five years, how did they shape the way in which you have built and grown this business and your philosophy as a leader? People will say, oh, do you miss the Marine Corps? And I say, no, I just recreated it uh, <laughs> to some extent. And it's great. And, and there's a lot of really good stuff coming out of there. And, you know, Leaders Eat Last that Simon did kind of put a little bit of focus on what does that servant leadership look like in his time with the Marine Corps? And I think for me, specifically as a Marine in, in a support role, um, I think you just really learned a lot in terms of 
do your job, support the team, don't let the team down. You know, the Marine Corps had you know, one team dedicated to a bigger mission and a real focus on mission accomplishment as the reason we do this. And I think if you take that and apply it to business, um, it really le- leads to a lot of growth, learning and development, leadership growth. I mean, there's so much that you can learn from this idea of we're going to dedicate ourselves to the accomplishment of a mission. And you can call that mission a goal, a KPI. I mean, you can use any business term you'd like, but um, if you look at Cardinal Group, not just in the core value, but in our structure, you know, we're a very bottom-up organization, which, you know, again, referencing back to the Leaders Eat Last concept, which is instilled in all Marine officers, there's this servant leadership philosophy on you put the Marines first. And that's how I view my role at Cardinal is this organization's all about a bottom-up organization, not that everyone's here to serve the executives. It's the executives are here to serve the team. And that that is directly out of the Marine Corps playbook. And this idea that specialists working as a team can accomplish a lot more than kind of a lone wolf generalist. So I always say we play a lot of team sports at Cardinal. We're not golfers. We don't play one-on-one tennis. Like it's not our best person versus someone else, another business's best person. It's our team completely aligned and connected and working together. And that has a lot of military undertones to it in terms of do your job, work on the team. It's all about the the guy or, or girl to your left or right. I mean, all of those concepts, which I think feel really natural in a military setting are actually really important in a business setting as well. So if you go down our core values, not all of them are taken from my time in the military, obviously, but all of them are taken from a position of what do we want this organization to be? What's our mission? And how does our team work together towards that? And that's how all those core values kind of came to be. So it's beautiful in concept. And then I think about in the Marines and in the military, you kind of have to band together, right? You have to come together towards this common mission because life and your life and the person's next to you life may depend on it. How does that translate to the workplace where it doesn't depend on us following together, right? I can quit and go make more money in another job who gives me a higher offer, especially in this market. So how were you able to translate that into a way that brought people together? Because it's clear that you've done something right here. You guys want best work two years in a row. So something's working. And I'm just curious, how did that happen? Well, I think that there's a misconception in the military that leadership is all about rank. And I think that you know this from your time as a leadership coach and just through connections is that leadership is really about connection and influence, right? And I think that if you look even in military units, the the leadership isn't so linear as you may believe in a kind of hierarchical organization. And among the corporals, there's one that will stand out as the leader within the group and the one that has the most influence and the one that goes out of their way to help develop young Marines. And I think that military's leadership training is really important. And I think a lot of people may just assume it's you shut up, you do your job, you're on contract, so you have no option. I think it's much more complex than that. And I think that being someone that people want to follow is a really important requirement of a leader. And I think that that was my thought in the military. It's my thought now. It's not life or death in the business world, but it certainly has a lot to do with meaning. And I think finding meaning in life and how you use your time, it is life or death. I mean, if the clock's ticking and all we have is our time, 
it might not be immediate death, but your inability to enjoy your profession sounds like a death sentence to me. You know, the stats you see on how many people in America just hate their jobs, it's just soul crushing, <laughs> you know, to know how many people are just miserable when they go home and they hate their job and they would love a new opportunity or whatever. So I look and say, your responsibility isn't that you need to follow orders because it's life and death. Your responsibility as a leader is to try to maximize someone's time because it's the most important thing they have. And if they're learning and they're growing and they're challenged and they're part of a team working towards a mission, those things are like the key ingredients towards a fulfilling career. And to me, having a fulfilling career when it's all said and done, like certainly sounds like life or death to me um, because I'd hate to get to the end of your working years or your career, whenever that is, and to look back and say, I just wasted all of this time. I mean, that just, that is awful. So I think if we kind of rethink how important our time is, how important our responsibilities as leaders is, it does have the appropriate weight to it. You know, in the military, it's so important because people depend on you for life or death. Well, I think we should always have the same weight of leadership in our minds. It is always that important, whether there's rounds flying or not. If we put it in its appropriate context of importance, I think it helps leaders understand, you know, how heavy of a burden that responsibility really is. It's not life or death, but it's fulfilled life or an existence that is just passing each day, day by day, uh, which yeah. I'm in alignment with you that that's kind of life or death. I can't imagine doing that on a daily basis and not living into to my purpose and my commitment. You mentioned one of the ways in which you did this was making yourself a leader that people want to follow. How the heck do you do that? Like I'm thinking about the, the leaders listening to the podcast. Like, okay, great. That sounds awesome. But this guy, you know, is a Marine and has gone to, got his MBA and clearly has just this like way of being. How did you do that? What are the things that you did, the actions that you took to make yourself someone that people want to follow? I was going to just say I read your book just so I could give you the plug in there. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> well, I'll just start there. I think one thing is viewing leadership like you view other skills. And I always tell people leaders are made, not born. Like in the military, there's a ton of confusion around physical ability and leadership. If you can run a three mile the fastest and do the most pull-ups, you must be a great leader. That guy might be a shitty leader. Like mm -hmm. we kind of confuse things too often, you know, or the smartest guy in the room must be the best leader. It's like, well, we all know that is just not true in, in business. So I think if you view it as a skill that can be developed, then you start putting appropriate time to it, right? And I think reading is certainly one thing, and there's a thousand books on leadership, so I, I don't even know which ones to recommend. But I think this, even more than reading, is this like intellectual curiosity that is just like so important in it, right? Like wanting to learn, wanting to know more, wanting to read uh, uh, biographies and autobiographies and like, how did other people do it? I think it's just so cool. And so cool that you're doing the podcast to like introduce people into like, well, how did they do it? Um, secondly, I think all leadership starts with self-awareness, you know, because the the heart of connection is at this like very genuine level, right? It's, a, it's almost like when someone says like, why do you like this person? And it's like, I don't know. Like it's hard to put your finger on it sometimes. Like sometimes you just like connect with people and sometimes you don't. And there's something very like human and genuine in that. And I think in order to connect 
you have to know who you are. You know, you have to know what makes you tick. But I think kind of the starting of your journey with knowing more about yourself, you know, so getting training or a life or a executive coach or, you know, there's so many ways to do it. But I think having a self-focus at different parts in the journey is super important because you should always ask yourself, what am I doing right? You know, what are my wins? Where am I struggling? And I think if you have humility and a focus on self-awareness, you can get to those questions. And and I think that one thing that has served me well in my career is being a little bit vulnerable. I think, unfortunately, we all grew up in a time where the executive was described as this old white guy that sat in the corner office, completely disconnected. And if you saw him in the hallway, you ran. Well, that, that has changed so much. Leaders are way more diverse. They're way younger. The skills are just changing completely. There's a totally different understanding. And I think with that, what used to be this like air of mystery of, oh, I wonder what the CEO does. And it kind of had this Wizard of Oz type <laughs> view of the CEO. But that's changed completely. And I think that one of the new requirements of a CEO is vulnerability and accessibility and like just being approachable, being normal. You don't always have to get everything right. Every word doesn't have to be perfect. You know, you can screw some things up, you can cuss, but as long as you're genuine and vulnerable and your team knows you're working hard for them, I think it buys you a lot. And that's where I think the the true connection kind of starts is like that genuine connection between two people is really the heart of leadership. I wrote down as you were talking kind of your three keys, right? The intellectual curiosity to, to want to learn, to seek to know more, uh, to explore the, the self-awareness and the humility, right? To be able to say, hey, I'm not perfect and I need to look at myself first because that's one of those things that's super hard, right? We want to look and point flaws out in others to figure out how to make something better. And oftentimes when we come back to the issue, it's realizing that I'm at the core of the issue. I mean, I'm loving this conversation and you know, being a little bit vulnerable. It's so hard to do. And it's so, so important. You know, I told someone recently, I said, I, I owe a lot of people an apology. <laughs> In a moment of humility and self-reflection, look back on your career. We've screwed so many things up. And, you know, I've had people who've put their trust in me to lead and I've made mistakes and I've blown it. And there's people who passionately believed in Cardinal Group and we let them down because we didn't deliver. And you just have to have that honesty and to almost hope you get a moment to connect with that person again and say, hey, I'm really sorry because I'm learning as well. None of us have this thing all figured out. The world's changing quickly. Businesses are rapidly evolving, especially if you're in a startup or heavy growth phase. And I think in humility, as leaders, we don't always have to say it was on them or something they didn't do. It's like sometimes the reason it didn't work out is because we just as leaders just failed. And we it's okay to be vulnerable and admit that and to say, you know what, I wish I had it again, a chance to do it again, because to have people believe in you is just the greatest measure of success in your career. You know, that's what I always tell people. I said, I hope when this is all said and done, that you've had the experience of someone saying to you, my career and my life are better because I had a chance to work with you. You can't buy that and you would trade all the money in the world for that feeling because that's what true connection's all about. It's funny because we tend to look at our screw-ups and try and analyze and learn as much as we can from them. And one of the things 
I find is that we don't often look at our successes and see what we can learn from them so we can repeat. But what's one of the successes that you're most proud of? What learning did you get from that that you've taken forward in your career? I mean, I certainly look back to the relationships and the feedback I received from Marines that I was lucky enough to get to lead as a young lieutenant and just to hear their feedback that I had a positive impact on their life, um, which is great. I think kind of more recently and kind of where Cardinal is now, I think as businessmen or businesswomen and to look at the successes, we need to at least take care of the house. And, you know, and there's kind of the like hard metrics of the business. But for me, you know, my greatest success is building an organization that's consistently recognized as a best place to work. You know, I always say your online reputation should match your real life reputation. And so while you may say that you can home cook some of those awards, and I truly believe that the recognition we receive matches what I see with my eyes. And that is people following the cardinal culture connected and truly believing this is a great place to work because when people say well how big are you guys i always start with the number of people and they're like no 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 like how many states are you in or you know how many beds do you manage or or you know student housing beds which is one of the businesses that um, that we do and and i always say to me it's all about the number of lives that we're impacting and the number of people choosing to work here which is kind of a new phenomenon in the labor markets where it used to be, you know, we're going to post a job and people are lucky to get it. I think it's completely changed where we are lucky to have the amazing people who choose to be at Cardinal Group. So when I look at the successes and to say our greatest success is that we've literally built a culture that has such a loud heartbeat to it that it drives the organization forward and our actions and our recruiting strategies and and engagement and the fact that people choose to continue to build their careers here. So that's kind of my trophy up on the shelf. You talk like this and you would think, you know, if you're a listener listening that this guy isn't running a thousand person business, that he's a motivational speaker or someone talking on the concepts of leadership. And I think the reason that thought crosses my mind and likely others' minds is because it seems like there's this dynamic between people versus business. Right? I have to make decisions for the business, and that's not necessarily going to help people. How do you reconcile the need to make business decisions versus people decisions? Well, that's a tough one, obviously. You know, in the Marine Corps, there are two things we focus on, mission accomplishment and troop welfare, and don't ever get them out of order. And I think that you kind of can get in this little bit of a death spiral where if you put the needs of each person first, that could have a really damaging impact. And some people, they kind of like cringe when they hear me say this because it might come across wrong, but I always say our people are not our most important asset. It's our culture. And they're like, well, how do you say that? You always talk about how you love your people. I'm like, I do, but I also recognize that people are going to come and go, (laughs) you know, And, and hopefully they go and do something amazing. I love nothing more than when someone leaves Cardinal and goes and has just an unbelievably awesome next opportunity or career. So if people are going to come and go, well, what's going to stay? And to me, that's the culture and you can call it culture. You can call it mission. You know, if you go back to my comment on mission accomplishment and troop welfare, it's like, well, what stays even as people change or come and go? 
you know, one of the things I love is when people come back and hopefully for whatever reason they decided to pursue another career. It could have been that, you know, we helped them make that decision to say, hey, this isn't working or this isn't a great fit or the organization's going in a different direction. Or they say the other side of that coin of they're going in a different direction or they found a new opportunity. But when people come back to Cardinal and they say, I just missed it and I want to be a part of it, it's just awesome. It's rewarding. And I think that building that culture where it's okay to have these open and and hard conversations and to have focus on feedback and radical candor and to make hard conversations just part of what we do as leaders, I think is important. I had this conversation recently with someone where I said, hey, we're making adjustments to org chart. Your position's no longer going to be there, and we would desperately love to keep you, but we need to work in partnership for you to find something that's going to work. And if we can't, you know, unfortunately, there's not going to be a home for you. And it was amazing to see how the culture worked because open and honest communication, building relationship, be a team player and treat others with respect, be humble. All of our core values kind of converged on this conversation and and she was like I hate hearing this but I totally get it just because the organization might have to do something different doesn't mean you suddenly say well now I don't like it or now I hate the culture or I hate the leaders if you're doing your job well there's just a mature understanding sometimes that business needs are going to bump into that all that being said we should always be seeking growth opportunities for people on our team. We should always be pushing culture and we should also always be assessing like who are the right people because frankly, you know, hiring's tough, engagement's even harder um, and not everyone you hire actually is the right person for your organization and what you'd hate is to keep the wrong people on the boat and let the good and let the right people off. I don't want to say good people, I'll correct myself, the right people off the boat. So I think it's always a challenge, but if you're doing your job as a leader and having those hard conversations regularly and everyone kind of knows where they stand, they know you're running a business, they know that sometimes business needs and personal needs might come into conflict. When that conflict arises, hopefully you've earned enough respect and trust in the relationship that people understand. Thank you for sharing that because it, it kind of highlights that taking care of people and thinking about people in the way you do isn't all hugs and high fives. It's not all, Ooh, we're making money. And so everybody's doing well. And, you know, I just really like this idea of mission accomplishment and group welfare and don't mix the order up because to need to grow the business, you need to align on the mission to continue to bring more people in and do more good of what you do with your people. You need to have the business be successful. I wrote something because I think we were struggling with a concept and I tried to articulate it to my team, but it was all about a lot of organizations, their cultures are really easy to follow when times are good. You know, and you just mentioned like, hey, we're all high-fiving, we're kicking ass, we got new clients, life's good. Well, those are the times where like, you know, the, the taps flowing and people are out in the lounge hanging out and laughing and stuff. It's like, well, that's not the only part of a culture. There's also an, a whole nother challenge and that is the culture in hard times. In fact, in the hardest of times is when that core values is the most important. When life sucks and you're down and we're getting beat up and you know business is tough and margins are tight, that's when we need to laugh. That's when we need to create fun. That's when we need to still bring our best. And you know we can't get our heads down and get downtrodden. Um, our, our core values are the same whether our business is 
kicking ass or struggling. And I think that concept and, and you just kind of let into that is super important for leaders to remember is the core values aren't just intended to be high fives and hugs and life is good. Um, they're actually intended to hold the organization when things are really hard. Hmm. Alex, this has just been an awesome conversation. I just want to say thank you. Um, thanks for being on. Thank you for sharing your story and your journey. And I'm um, looking forward to more conversations. Oh, yeah. No, I'm honored. It's super cool. And I look forward to listening to the other guests you have on, too, because like I said, I think just being a student of the game and just hearing other stories, hearing what's making them successful. Um, I think that, you know, leadership is such an interesting journey because it never ends and the, the growth and improvement never stops. And thank you. Thanks a lot. Want to hear more great stories like this one? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. And you can always drop us a note at openhonestanddirect.com. Cheers. <laughs>